Amen. You got your Bibles ready? Turn with me to Proverbs 27. First thing, I want to just lay a foundation. We're just continuing a little bit with our theme on praise. It's so awesome. Praise. Praise, praise, praise the Lord. Praise and thanksgiving. All right, Proverbs 27. All right, so just, just, we, let's just park that there, and then I want to give you a little bit of background. And um, one of the things that tradition did and what religion does, it messes up the image of God for us. It's absolutely amazing to me that when Jesus came, his whole purpose was to reveal God not so much as God, but to reveal Him as Father. But even the picture of Father was so messed up by our earthly fathers. But some of us were blessed to have really good earthly fathers. And so they gave us a correct image. But the Father figure and fatherhood is so powerful that He came to mess it up. So I, um, a lot of the preaching was about God, the Lord God Almighty, that He was powerful, he was holy, inutterably holy, of pure eyes and to behold evil, and all of this kind of thing. You know, I thought this kind of preaching was over, and then someone just shared with me recently uh, about somebody that worked for them passed away, and, and they went to this funeral, and this Germany of Pasteur, whoever he is, I mean, he used the opportunity, he pulled out every hellfire brimstone verse under the sun. He condemned everybody to hell, you know, and, and very proudly and with great excitement, you know, and much enthusiasm. And just when you finished, he brought out a fresh salvo, you know, um, of just this hellfire and judgment. And, um, you know, it's so sad, and I pray that there's not even a remnant of it in this church. That God is distant, that God is somehow maybe not disinterested, but not really connected to us and is not really able to fully identify with where we're at. And that nothing could be further than the truth. And that's why Jesus came revealing him as our father. Amen. He's our Abba. That the spirit of the son cries, Father, Father. And he even gave them the Lord's Prayer where he said, okay, start like this. Our Father. Woo! I mean, that changes everything. Isn't that right? He said, your father and my father, your God and my God. So this God is father. What do you say? Father. Father. Now, sometimes we think that the apostle Paul was this austere, you know, firebrand, tough, hard, no-nonsense apostle, you know, signs and wonders and no time for the weak, soppy little mommy's boy Mark you know, and sent him home. <laughs> and then later goes, uh, he's useful me in the ministry. Bring him back. Send for John Mark. You know, he's useful. And we think that he was this hard guy, but somewhere in his life, he experienced sufficient pain in here. We know about all his shipwreckings and his wounds and all this kind of thing. But sufficient in here that he starts 2 Corinthians chapter 1, talking about the God of all compassion and the Father of all comfort. When that struck me, I started seeing this great apostle in a different way. That he understood not only the power and the authority, he understood God as Father. He's the Father of. In other words, if you trace any compassion back, if you trace any comfort back, you're going to come right back to the heart of God. You're going to come right up to the Father and go, where did this compassion come from? It comes from the heart of God. In fact, Paul says so. He says, if you've been comforted with any comfort that we've received, no, we've been comforted. And our comfort overflows. But I want you to understand the source of this comfort is God himself. Listen, we cannot have a view that God is somehow remote, somehow disconnected, somehow disinterested, somehow not able to relate to what I'm going through. No, he is. Paul put it in these terms in 2 Corinthians. He says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And he's now given us the ministry of reconciliation. Come on, I mean, God knows how you feel. Okay? He identified he was in Christ. And Paul tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 
that Jesus was selected to be our high priest as a flesh and blood man, even though he was God-man. And now he is able to sympathize and empathize with us in all of our weakness, in all of our struggling, because he went through what you went through. He faced what you faced. Not only the sin, not only the temptation, but he faced the limitation. He faced the weakness of his own flesh. Did Jesus ever face anxiety? Sure he did. Did he ever face loneliness? Sure he did. He faced it. He didn't give in to it. So he's able to identify with any and every emotion that you go through, any and every challenge that you face, any and every difficulty, any and every grief. He demonstrated it outside Lazarus's tomb when he wept. The shortest verse in the Bible, and Jesus wept. It shows that he had emotions in his soul, not just strength in his spirit. He demonstrated supreme manhood. And as a son, he demonstrated exactly who the father was. Because he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. In other words, the father was weeping over Lazarus' death. It means that the father is able to empathize with every one of your weaknesses. He's on our side. He's with us. God is for us. He's not against us. Is that okay? I mean, any comfort that you receive. Listen, when we go through hard times, what people can do is a lot. But it's never everything. They're limited because they're finite. But God is infinite. And whereas people's words might not be able to do it, I appreciate them. And I appreciate their presence, and I appreciate, but I want to tell you, one word from God, a moment in His presence, He embraces me with His comfort, and somehow I'm strengthened. Somehow, you know, God reaches the places, and I, and I often share this at funerals, and I remember being very, very amused with it when I first heard it was an advert on TV when I was at Bible college, and um, it wasn't revival for three years. It was survival, going through Bible college. And so sometimes I had to get sanity and watch, <laughs> watch TV. But there was this particular advert that came up about a particular lager that they had just introduced into the market. And the advertising slogan was this, and it tickled me. I laughed about it for a long time. You must know it had an impact on me because, you know, more than nearly 40 years later, I'm still remembering. I can't remember the name of the lager, but I remember the slogan. I don't know what it tastes like. I didn't taste it, okay? Just in case you're wondering. And it wouldn't have been wrong to taste it, okay? But it said this, it reaches the parts that other beers can't reach. And I was like, well, what other parts are they? And while I was chuckling about it like you chuckling, God spoke to me and he said, that's just like me. I can reach the parts you can't reach. I can reach those parts in people that you will never. That's why you need me in your ministry. Amen. So he reaches those parts. He reaches those parts. That's the backdrop. That's the background to the message I'm going to preach this morning. And so I want us to have a look. Isaiah 25 verses 4. The first part is, it says this about God. You have been a refuge for the poor. You have been a shelter for the needy in times of storm. Is that all right? Has everybody got that? So he's talking about God. This is an Old Testament verse. So in other words, you can run to the name of the Lord because it's a strong tower. God is my shield and my rampart. He's my buckler. He's my very great reward. Is that okay? This is Old Testament. Old Testament. Hosea says, Ephraim is my son. I led him out of Egypt with tender compassion, cords of human kindness. It was me who bent down and took him by the hand and led him. I taught Ephraim how to walk, just like a father would his son. And that's the view that Hosea had of God taking, tottering, bumbling, stumbling, you know, Israel out of the infancy into maturity and said, I'm teaching you how to walk and I'm teaching you how to depend on me. And he took them by the hand. Come on, church, this was old covenant revelation of the goodness and the kindness of God. It's always been there. It's the preachers that messed it up. Father, forgive them for they know what they do. 
All right. Wow. Is that a good start? Psalm 34. Woo-hoo. Psalm 34. So you've got your finger in Proverbs 27. Okay. Psalm 34 verse 18 says something very similar. It says, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Listen, when you're your most broken, when you're most vulnerable, when you're going through your greatest struggle, when you're in the time of your greatest grief, all of your senses, all of your emotions will tell you God is absent. The reality is He's present. Everything about your feelings will say, where is God? Everything about God says, here I am. Here I am. If he's not present in a person, he's present as a person himself, individually. He always is. And sometimes he presences himself through people. Come on, God is nigh unto thee. Somewhere in the midst. Look, it's true about temptation, so it's true about pain and grief and trials and struggles. And many of you can attest to it probably better than I can. Is that Paul says in Corinthians, he says that, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. But within it, within it, there's always, number one, a way of escape. Somewhere in the proximity and the perimeter of all of that, there is a door which says fire escape, exit. There's a flashing sign. We just got to look for it. Somewhere in all of your difficulty, you just got to look up and peer through the darkness that is surrounding you and look for the exit sign and say, that's the way out of this pain. Come on, I told you. God told me this is your word this morning. Tell the person next to you he's preaching good and he's preaching to you. All right? So there's an exit sign. You see that little man over there? That's the exit sign. Is that okay? Come on. And outside, right in the corner, there's an assembly appoint. There's an assembly. Come on, when you are going through something, there is an escape. There's a place. And then there's a rendezvous point where you can go and rendezvous with Jesus and go like, whew, you got me. <laughs> you got me out of that one. PTL. See, so the second thing is, when it's like an oppressive weight, Paul says, you will be able to stand up under it. Come on, sometimes it's not a deliverance out of. Sometimes it's a deliverance in. Sometimes it's a deliverance in the situation. I can stand up in this. I can stand up in this. I can stand up in this. I love Watchman Nee's book, of the book of Ephesians, and his summary of the book of Ephesians is this. Sit. Stand walk. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly realms. Stand and having done all stand. Walk the way he would walk. Sit, stand, walk. So there's a way of escape. There's a way out of it. So I'm trusting that I've changed the scenario. This wonderful, tender, compassionate Amazing, in touch with me, Father, who is my God. He is the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and us all. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Come on, just lift your hands. Just lift your hands. See how the whole atmosphere changed. Hallowed means holy, means praise to your name. Come on, right now, it doesn't matter what you're going through, what you've been through, what you will face. He's in touch. He's in contact. He's in proximity. He's close. The Lord is nigh unto thee. I will not forsake thee, neglect thee. I will be with thee always, even to the very end of the age. My name is Emmanuel. My name is Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. For the Lord is with you. He shall not leave thee nor forsake thee. Even if I am unfaithful, he cannot be unfaithful. Otherwise, he would be denying himself. The Lord knows my struggles. Hallowed be thy name. Everybody said amen. Amen. So Proverbs 27.
I am seriously on the way to being drunk. I'm en route. There's only one conclusion to this, and that's the flaw. <laughs> Proverbs 27, I just love it. Proverbs 27, let's pop down to sort of verse 19. The King James says it beautifully, but I'm just going to read it for simplicity in the NIV. He says this, The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but people are tested by their praise. Though you grind a fool in a mortar, grinding them like grain with a pestle, you will not remove their folly from them. This is um, a group of verses and w- of wisdom that belongs together that Solomon wrote. The book of Proverbs wasn't only written by Solomon. There was a guy by the name of Augur and King Lemuel. They lo- I think he wrote the last chapter, something like this. But this is the wisdom of Solomon. And Solomon says a man is tested or a person is tested by his praise. It's verse 21. People are tested by their praise. So have a look at it. Keep your finger there on verse 21. Then if you read um, Proverbs 17, Proverbs 17 and verse 3, it says, The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. Tests the heart. Now, I want to just go through it and just say I'm always very, very careful about using that word tests in Christian circles. There's a lot of Christianese. There's a lot of platitudes that do more damage than good because I don't believe they are based on truth. The Lord doesn't give you a sick child to test you. doesn't give you cancer to test you. doesn't do those things. God doesn't, you know, kill a family member to test you. I want to take it a step further. God doesn't even put you through hard times to test you. Life is full of hard times. It's going to come. And so God is just really good at utilizing what is coming in a broken world. But it doesn't originate from God. So God doesn't set you up to be fired to test you. We live in a country where the economy is not good and people lose their jobs. It's just a fact of life for now. Is that all right? And God can see it. Yes, he can. And it may be an inevitable thing. And you go through it and God says, all right, let me use this as an opportunity. Now, it's not as a test to see if you will fail. It is an opportunity to help you to pass, to establish something in your life. Is that okay? It's very different from setting up a test for failure. What it is, it's circumstances, and God will look at it and say, this will try your heart. Not to reveal anything to himself, but to reveal something to you. It's to show you where your heart is in order to change it. And all the time, your compassionate, connected, intimate, proximitous father is standing there and saying, okay, okay, you're going through this thing. How about... Just start to praise me. Come on. He's trying. Another word for discipline in the Bible is train. And so the test is always a training thing. God's going, come on, remember what Pastor John preached. Come on, put it on. Remember what you read. Come on, just, I know you don't feel like it. I know you can't feel me. But that's just the nature of the way it is. It's not true. But come on, just, if you will just lift your hands if you will just open your mouth, if you will just start to say, even if you can't say, praise the Lord, say, PTL. <laughs> just say, hallelujah. A raise a hallelujah. Oh. I can't sing. I don't even remember the melody, man. It doesn't matter. Just make a joyful noise to the Lord. Just, just do something. Just do something. And your connected Heavenly Father saying, come on, I want truth to become true. Just try it. Just try it. Just try it. Try it. Come on. Come, Yanisian. Come. You can do it, boy. You can do it. Come on, just oh, praise you, Jesus. You know? Hallelujah. So a man is tested by his praise. Now, in the crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold, but God trieth the heart. 
So God not being one to miss an opportunity, and He's given us His Spirit, His Word, His body. He's put all of these things, these influences around us, these angels, these saints in the cloud of witnesses. And when we are so surrounded with positivity, I mean, you have to really work hard at being negative in the kingdom as a Christian. I mean, you've got to go at it. There's so much positivity around us. If God is for us, who can be against us? Come on, church. Come on. And so God trieth the heart to prove something to us. Now, I've used this example before, and I want to just use it again. One day I was watching Bev doing the washing. She was pulling things out of the wash basket and looking and chucking it. And I began to notice that there were two piles, two piles. And then she took the one pile and stuck it in the washing machine. So I'm thinking she's looking for dirtier and cleaner. And when I looked at her, I saw it's not the case. And I said to her, how come you're putting this in two piles? I'm quite intelligent and observant, you know. I think that was after our 20-something year, never mind, of watching her do it. But she said, no, no, it's whites and colors. You can't put colors with whites because otherwise the whites will no longer be whites. They'll be pink or something. So I said, oh, how did you do it? So she was showing me. But the incredible thing, as she was taking it out and doing this, God spoke to me. And he said, that's what I do when you're going through a difficult time. He says, I pull out the attitudes and I show you what's in your heart. And I preached a message called Wash Day Blues. Because I was like, ouch. Because God said to me, this is what God said to me. He said, I know it's there. Other people know it's there. You're the only one that's blind to your own stuff. I went, oh, Jesus. And he said, and I show you, listen to it, so that we can deal with it. So when you go through a time and, and you fall apart, it's not God being cruel, it's God being kind. It's not God being judgmental, it's God being gracious. It's God being your heavenly Father who's saying, come on, we have to deal with this thing, because this thing, if I don't deal with it now, down the line, it's going to trip you up. It's keeping you from victory and keeping you from maturity. So here's the time. So listen, whenever God points something out, what he is saying is, here it is, and here I am. It's time to deal with this thing. Come on, tell somebody next to you, be honest now. Say, it's my time. <laughs> then it must be my time. <laughs> Today is my day. Amen. Today is my time. So God just shows us what's inside of us. Listen, those things don't come out when it's all sunshine and roses and everything's going good. You know, no, those things come out in the storm. Those things only come out when you're pressed up against the wall like a sponge and the pressure's on and stuff comes out and you're going like, oh my goodness, I didn't know that was there. Oh, I've got demons. <laughs> I need deliverance. Because <laughs> I've been pushed into a place. But listen, Jesus wants the sponge full of something out so that when you squeeze, Jesus comes out. Or praise comes out. And the heart of the devil pushes it. He goes, no man, I can't push this anymore because I'm just causing him to praise. I'm not causing him to be anxious and swear and get angry and fall apart. No man, when I push him, there's praise. Woo, let me just leave this one alone. This is a bit too hot to handle. So back to Proverbs 27 when it says, people are tested by their praise. Basically, there's about three or four things that from my study, and I was in conversation with this particular chapter with Andre a little while ago, looking into the Hebrew, and one of the things that comes out is that a person is tested by his praise in this sense. In other words, will he praise himself? Will he praise himself? And it's one of the things that Jesus had the issue with the scribes and Pharisees about. He says that you can't commend yourself and praise yourself and all this kind of thing, you know, and speak of yourself. Others need to do that for you. Then one day Jesus was talking himself about the Son of God. He goes, yeah, you are giving your own testimony. We thought, he said, yeah, I'm giving it, but, you know, it's because of who I am. <laughs> but if you just forget mine, the Father says that I am the Son. So that testimony is bigger than mine or yours. So come on, listen, the Father has a testimony about you. So anyway, so Proverbs 27 verse 2, it says this. 
that any praise for you must come from the lips of another, from the mouth of another, not from your own lips. Now, that's fairly obvious, isn't that right? I mean, how many of you have been around people that are always just blowing their own trumpet? Doesn't it just turn your stomach a little bit? I was like, here, please, man. You know, and uh, you want to say to them, I don't think you're that great after all. <laughs> but we don't blow our own trumpet. So let another praise you, not your own mouth, someone else and not your own lips. Is that okay? So what is that a test of? That's a test of very limited view, but basically it's a test of pride. There's no humility there. Second thing is whether we can praise others where it is due. Isn't it amazing how very often when someone excels, it elicits emotions in us, maybe of jealousy, maybe of inferiority because we're comparing ourselves with them. It's like we are threatened. It takes wisdom and humility to be able to give praise, to be able to give credit and honor where it is due. Amen? Without getting into comparison, Paul talks about, I think, I think, is it 2 Corinthians 12? Somewhere around there. I think it's open to correction on that. But when he says, this thing that you're doing is wrong when you compare yourselves with yourselves, among yourselves. He says, I don't do that. There's only one comparison, me and Jesus. And I'm like him. I'm running my own race. I'm not competing with you. We're all running in lanes, but this is your race. This is my race. All I'm doing is looking at the prize that he's called me to in my lane. You run for your prize in your lane. Is that okay? I finished my course, and there's laid up for me a crown. Same as for you. Same as your course. But we're running together, shoulder to shoulder. But I'm not comparing myself to you, and you go, get of me. So I'm able to praise and go like, yo, you're doing really well. And I don't fall apart. I don't get upset. I don't, you've got miracles in your church. That's really awesome. Your church is bigger than mine. Praise God. It's all, the kingdom is growing. Amen. You've got a great ministry. God is using you. Awesome. Then I'm doing something right. Amen. But can I pass on praise to others? It speaks of maturity in wisdom and in grace. Amen. Third thing. So we're tested by these things. Is that right? So the third thing is this. That in which you place your glory. That in which you place your glory. This is where in the New Testament references are to idolatry. Coincidentally, anger is also idolatry. Not just a carved idol. Not just your lani house, your big bank balance. Anger. See, all the yo in here was like, yo? Was that a yo, God forgive me, yo? Or a Yo, I told you, yo. <laughs> Both. <laughs> it's where you put your glory. Look at Jeremiah 9. That's a great verse. Jeremiah 9, verses 23 and 20. You getting something this morning? Jeremiah chapter 9. Because we're talking about a man is tested by his praise. But the context is what a good, connected, heavenly, loving father we have. And uh, Jeremiah 9, and the verses are 23 and 24, and it says this in verse 23. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts, boast about this. Now, somewhere in the New Testament, Paul more or less alludes to this particular passage, and he says, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen? The Lord was good. The Lord enabled me. Listen, Pastor John did not make a success of 35 years of ministry. God made. Despite all my immaturity, lack of wisdom, stupidity, God made a success. So let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. If it had not been for God, I would be a statistic. Let them boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. Amen? Come on, we don't put our glory in other things. That's why Paul says where your treasure is there, your heart is also. That's why it's so important for you to invest that portion of your finances that God speaks to you about and put it in the kingdom because your heart follows your treasure. 
and it's in the kingdom. There's a thing that God has an issue with in the Old Testament. It was portrayed as a curse where he says, cursed is the man who depends or leans on the strength of his own right arm. Cursed is the king who depends on his army rather than on the Lord. And so God is saying, listen, don't lean on your own ability because you just don't know how absolutely weak and pathetic you are without me. Two scriptures in the New Testament that hold us in dynamic tension is this. Without me, you can do nothing. With me, you can do all things in Christ Jesus. Come on, that holds us in a dynamic tension. And somewhere in the middle is there is John. Amen. I can't do it. I can do it. I can't do it. Thank you, Jesus. With you, I can do it. So roll on the next 35 years. Woo! Amen. And so where you put your glory. Come on, where do we put our glory? It's not in things. And God is not averse to things. And God is not averse to you being blessed and having money. As long as they are in their place of priority with Him first. 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 That's why it's called first fruits. It's called the tithe of the increase, the first to God. And then lastly, it's always about praise. How do we praise? And I alluded to it a bit earlier. So the fourth area of test for a man is tested by his praise is this, that when you hit the wall, when you hit the dark spot, when you're in the pit, can you praise? Man's heart is tested by his praise. This is the most important area. This is the area I want us to talk about. Because somewhere we've got to get back to the priority of praise and thanksgiving. That's why Paul teaches us and Jesus taught us that we to always be overflowing with thanksgiving and thankfulness. Now there was a, a weird stage when they were just discovering this truth about thanksgiving. They would say, you need to give God thanks for everything. So you would say, thank you Jesus, I got cancer. Thank you Jesus, I got a headache. Well that's not they were in the process. It was immaturity. Is that okay? But in everything, give thanks to the Lord. Then we went through this weird phase of trying to deny that it was there. You know, it's like, you know, my arm's not broken. Thank you. <laughs> I understand that the church was going through an evolution of getting to the place. My arm's broken, but thank you, Jesus. By your stripes, I'm healed. It's just coming to the balance and of the proper and so, it's, but the point is this, is to get back to the praise thing. A man, a woman is tested by his or her praise. So we're in Proverbs 27, but in Proverbs 27, listen to what it says around down there near verse 21. It says this, verse 19, as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. As water reflects the face. You know, I mean... You all know that, I mean, that's the part when I watch Lion King where I always cry. You know, when Simba runs away because of Scar and all this kind of thing. And then one day he goes and looks in the stream. And as the ripples end and he looks in, he sees his image. He sees actually his father. And he's seeing his real identity, isn't that right? When he looked in the water. But isn't it amazing how crystal clear in the right conditions how glass-like and mirror-like that water is where you can see your face so clearly. So listen, listen, your heart, your heart is equally reflected in your life. Your heart is equally reflected. Now, this is not a condemnation thing, is that right? So what God is trying to say to us, listen, when you hit that place, when you come there, what I want, that which is in your heart to become manifest. That that which is a theory, a truth waiting to become true, becomes true concerning praise. And so it's, are you able to praise me when the chips are down? Are you able to praise me when your back's against the wall? Are you able to praise me when you're in the corner? Are you able to praise me when with your eyes you cannot see the exit sign? When you feel like your legs are too feeble to stand up in that place? Can you praise me? Can you? you see, um, Colin and I were having, <laughs> were having a good laugh at each other last week because just a bit of a backstory to that. Your Auntie Bear's very naughty. She's very, very naughty. She takes every opportunity that she can just to have fun with me and laugh with me about things. But I get seriously motion sick. I could never get on anything that spins around as a kid because, you know, after the second or third lap, it would become a technicolored yawn. <laughs> 
And I would just bless and baptize all of those that would be watching. I mean, my stomach turns like this. I can't get on big wheels and roundabouts and things like this. No, no, you'd have to anesthetize me and chuck me on there so I don't know what was happening. I don't know. And uh, so I can't do those things. Even when I was a little boy, we'd get in the car to go, there's Omar, she'd tell you, is that I had to sit in the front looking out the window on the road. Because if I sat in the back, it was like, after a while, and, and then we, ah, near man, stop the car, everybody out, you know, clean up everything. Come on, man. You know, I've got such a queasy stomach. So, so here we go to Victoria Falls, and they're going, oh, man of God, Maruti, prophet, they're all waiting for you. Helicopter flips over the falls, gorge swings, bungee jumps, and I'm thinking, oh, Jesus, deliver me, deliver me, deliver me. I was trying to think, let me cut the trip short, I'll go and preach, and I'm out of there, you know. But it didn't happen like that. So it's like, okay, today helicopter flipping. I'm going, oh, Jesus. If only they knew. You know, I can just make it to Victoria Falls without throwing up. But I had to take half a Valoid, you know. And so if there's any, it's like, a, it's like the same thing's happening inside. Yeah. And then the green comes up. Go green. And I grow gills. And I start sweating. I feel sick. I mean, it's indescribable, you know. So Colin and I, I didn't know because he has big tough Colin boss, cook for nicks. Same thing. Da 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 da. Hey. So anyway, now they say, I'm saying, no, I don't want to go on this helicopter. And Ben's going like, no, you got to, they want to bless us. Oh, Jesus. How long is it? 13 minutes or half an hour? 13 minutes. 13 minutes. Maybe I can fake it for 13 minutes. So anyway, I pop a Valoid. I think, okay, this is, you know. I learned it from Reynard Bonker. Reynard Bonker stood up in a healing conference and said, I woke up with a splitting headache. I cheated the devil and took aspirin. <laughs> so I cheated the devil. I took a Valoid. I'm going to get on the plane. And then Bev and the brothers from <laughs> Victoria Falls Church, Pastor Dubé's church, all standing there. Man of God, you're a prophet. Are you afraid to fly? I'm going, I'm not afraid. And then I look at Bev and she's no, he's scared. He's scared. He's scared. I said, I'm not scared. I will fly. I said, you don't understand. I get sick. I said, I'll throw up, you know. But anyway, they teased me rotten. Anyway, I did the flight. I was fine. The Valoid did its thing. Got off and I was like, conquered. Yes. And um, but Colin and I, he missed out on, nearly missed out on a whole fishing trip because they took him deep sea fishing. And he spent his most time so eventually they chucked him in the sea and said, swim. <laughs> but you know, the incredible thing for me is even on Kariba, we went on Kariba. I sat upstairs, lived upstairs, ate upstairs, slept upstairs. I didn't even go down into the cabin. You sure you don't want to come down? No, I'm fine here, I'm fine here, I'm fine here. <laughs> because if I can get a stable point and I can look at it, a fixed thing, I'm cool. Praise focuses you on a fixed point. Jesus. And then in all the motion and the unevenness of life, I'm steady. Come on, give him a hand. He says, look away from all that will distract you and look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. So get a fixed point. Jesus is always your fixed point. He's always your example. I, I just want to give you an example. I want you to start turning away from Proverbs 27. I want you to start going backwards to the book of Psalms. Stop in the hundreds. And you will see that Jesus began to talk about his death and more specifically how he would die very accurately just prior to his death. I mean accurately. I'm going to be crucified. He saw it in the scriptures. He got it, you know. And um, so he knew what kind of painful death. He had exemplified it in the Garden of Gethsemane where his sweat like great drops of blood fell off his head, his forehead and his body in that wrestle between do I do what I want to do because I want to get out of here. But Lord, not my will, your will be done. And so he knew the ultimate price. But just before the cross, they're sitting having communion. 
well, where he institutes communion. They're having a meal together. And then they break bread according to the Passover and stuff like this, because it was actually a Passover meal. And he was about to become the Passover lamb. And Matthew says it, and Mark says it, that when they had sung a hymn, they left. When they had sung a hymn, when they had sung a hymn, they had left. Jesus was anticipating the cross. A short while later, he was going to go through the agony of Gethsemane, and a short while later, he was going to be crucified. But he had enough presence of mind to still relate to the disciples, to still give them the discourse from end of John chapter 12 all the way through to John chapter 17. And I believe it was because he found his fixed point. Because the hymn that he would have sung and that particular part of the meal, there were five or six psalms that they would have sung. And the first that they would have sung, and probably the one, was Psalm 113. And Psalm 113 goes like this. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you His servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised, both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth, he raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of his people. He settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of her children. Praise. Yeah. If we could just do that, you know, man is tested by his praise. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. One of the others that they would have finished with is Psalm 118. And Psalm 118, right in the middle of it goes, This is the day. <laughs> this is the day that the Lord has made. That the Lord has made. We will rejoice. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And be glad in it. I've got my reference point. I'm stable. Come, let's go. And the Bible says, and they went out in John, and it was night. He walked into darkness, but it's okay. I see the sign. Let's go. Come, disciples. There's three things about that kind of praise. And the first thing is this, praise makes you positive. Second thing is, praise makes you more objective. See, the devil likes you to be subjective. Subjective means you've got your eyes on yourself, you've got eyes on your problem, you've got your eyes on your difficulties, and you can't go anywhere. Subjective makes you self-ish, self-orientated. Praise makes you objective and changes you more to positive from negative and the third one I'm finishing because of time but praise makes you active it's really amazing that when you get down you sit down <laughs> or you lie down you give up something on inside of you takes a knock but praise helps you to get up and to get active and to do something even if it's as little as just saying oh God I, just give me the grace give me the strength there's a lot more that we can say. Paul and Silas at midnight, praising after they'd been beaten. It says they sang hymns. Amen. They sang hymns. It's like they were bloodied, they were beaten, they were tired, they were sore, they're in stocks, they're in prison. But what do they do? They just start to praise. They wake up at midnight, darkest moment. And they say, come on, let's shine a little bit of light in the darkness. This little light of mine, I've got it. 
Give me oil in my lamp. Give me oil. Just sing something. Amen. If you can't raise your hands all the way, just, you know, just microwave something. Just, just do something. Just very quickly, things that I've learned. Where to begin? Don't wait for a crisis. Develop a life of praise. Praise Him for the good things. Amen. And then also in the little wincy wincy, you know those little, little things? You know, after when I'm battling away with a nut and a bolt and it won't work, or I'm doing something with woodwork and it just won't happen, I start, rather than get frustrated and throw the hammer or kick the wife, I mean the dog or something like that, something like that, instead of doing that and losing and flipping out, I start to praise. I, go, I just, I start in the little things, the little things. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you. I've got this. I've got this. You're going to illumine my mind? I've got this. I'm going to figure this thing out. Even if I walk away and praise, and often I just get like, whoa. I've got this. I know what to do. Then you go back. Amen. I mean, you talk to, I mean, you've got your testimony. Talk to Marius. Talk to Andre. The number of times they get called out and they are basically regarded as specialists and they go praying or praising or thanking God or speaking in tongues. They see the problem before they get there. And they go, people go like, how did you know? How did you, how did you fix that substation? How did you know? Well, I've got a reference point. You have a manual, but you're wobbling. And I've got, <laughs> I've got a fixed point in life. Amen. Come on, just in the little things, good and bad. Start with the little negative things. Let's go, praise you, Jesus. This is going to work. Praise you, Lord. Amen. Before you kick the washing machine because it's not working, lay your hands on it. Command it to be healed. I promise you. I used to drive that Nissan uh, Maxima. And one day I went through to go and see Prophet Quervis and the gearbox packed up on the way the automatic gearbox, and they talk about 45,000 rand, which I didn't have. And I went to go and see Prophet Quivers, and I was just about to leave, and I said to Prophet Quivers, I said, have you got any automatic transmission oil? He says, yeah, I've got some oil. And I think he, he sent um, Pietrus out and got some oil. He says, but hey, come, let's do what we know how to do. Him and I stand, hands on the bonnet, be healed in Jesus' name, maximum, be healed, be healed. Do you know how many more thousands of Ks I drove before that thing? And I mean, it was grinding, crunching, all sorts of things, um, uh, you know, and I was like, there's no ways, I mean, I know enough to know all that noise in there, I ain't getting home 200 kilometers, and I started up, and drove, it was quiet, and it wasn't because we put the transmission oil in, it, because it had sufficient, I overfilled it, and it was just quiet for thousands of kilometers, thousands and thousands before eventually packed up, and it was because a man of God just said, well, let's not get frustrated. Let's not get down. Let's not get anxious. You're going to be good. Let's pray for the thing. We had a couple in this church, and she was always saying, come on, because her husband was not yet saved. Come on, let's, let's pray about this. Oh, 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 you would laugh. And one day she locked her keys in the car, and all the things were down. And she said, oh, and he said, no, we're going to have to get a locksmith. He was really mad with her, you know, stupid woman, and all of that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, we don't do that kind of thing. If you do on live stream, repent. And uh, so she said, well, let's pray. And he, ah, oh, come on, man, you and your prayer and your Jesus thing. And she said, well, we're going to pray. Jesus, help me. Bonk. And the t- <laughs> I mean, just, do, you know, even if it doesn't pop open, you still, you feel better, you know. Start with the little things. I'm closing with this. It's really good to start with the little, you know, one of the scriptures that really gripped me once was I was reading through the story of the crucifixion. And there was the epitome of love, the greatest act of mercy and grace towards humankind, crucified on a cross by the very people he came to save. They're mocking him and hurling insults. They'd already driven nails through, they'd already beaten him, already whipped him, they'd already crushed on his head a crown of thorns. He was in unspeakable anguish and and agony and pain, indescribable. And he's able to look down and say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The only reason why Jesus could do that then is because right from the beginning, he never took offense at one thing anybody did. And he walked a life of forgiveness unspoken, just kept forgiving and releasing people. He never had to go and say to somebody, you Pharisees, you chief priests, you really offended. <laughs> they did it to him. 
But he never had to do that because he just walked forgiving. So when it came to the worst, darkest time of his life, he was able to pray that prayer. So listen, we perfect praise. We perfect praise out of reverence for God. God has perfected praise from the mouths of infants who are just so dependable, so trusting. It's incredible how, and I said that was the last story. I'll give you the last story, and then it's the last story, and then it'll be amen. You've all experienced it, but we lived in the olden days when ATMs just came out. You know, the olden days, and ATMs just came out. And my kids were really impressed with the fact that you put a card in and this thing gives you money. So one day when we said to them, they said, Ma, Dad, can we go and watch movies? Can we do this? We said, no, we haven't got money. Just go to the ATM. The ATM will give you money. <laughs> they couldn't understand. We would say to them, but you have to put money in to get money out. Well, why would you do that? <laughs> Good question. I think we're stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we didn't have money to put in. That's why we can't get it. But why do you put money in the ATM if you want money? Anyway, okay, it's, it's long and hard and difficult. It's a bit like the birds and bees. No time now, later, you know. We'll tell you another day. And uh, just go to the ATM. But absolute trust. You lay awake. You worried about where the provision has come from. They go like, hey, I have a mom. I have a dad. So out of the simple, out of the children, perfected praise comes. I don't understand, but Jesus, I have you. I have a Father in heaven who's so awesome. I want you just in closing to think back to the last deliverance, the last provision, the last answered prayer. I want you just to go and revisit that. The last time you realized, wow, God was in this. This was really special. Some of you, it was this morning. Some of you, it was yesterday. Some of you, it was the day before. Maybe this week. Maybe last month. I just want you to go back to, I want you to revisit that last thing where it was undeniably God. Where maybe you were driving and it felt like he came and sat in the car next to you. And it was almost like you could feel him and you could touch him sitting next to you in the car. Just the last the last encounter. I want you to go back to the last undeniable God incident in your life. You all there? You all there? Maybe. I hope it's not 20 years ago. But, but if it was 20 years ago, go back. Go back. Go back. Go back to that last provision, that last thing. And I want you to close your eyes. I want you to recapture that moment because this is how you build a testimony of faith you to revisit how supernatural it was, how miraculous it was. Because, you know, we are very good at forgetting. And part of praise is remember and remind yourself. And I just want you to go back to it and I want you to start saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that, Lord. God, I give you the praise, and the honor and the glory. Come on, I want you to start now lifting your hands start to engage come on this is a moment and it's times like these that can change your life save your life bring you out the next thing that you face and I'm not prophesying negativity life is full of stuff stuff happens I want you to go back and I just want you to start God say thank you God thank you for that provision thank you for that blessing thank you for that provision thank you for that healing thank you my father I give you the praise